Okay, so for everybody uh, who's here for the first time, you have uh, chosen a very special day. This is not going to feel um, like our traditional Saturday morning practice. It's going to be uh, a little a little different, which is always beautiful. So uh, we'll get started. I want to just first welcome all the visiting monastics that are here for our evening event and for this special day. We're so grateful for your generosity of your time and your open hearts and your gift of teaching to all of us. So thank you for being here, and we welcome you. Michael, where are you? There he is. Michael is here all the way from Sri Lanka, and uh, we're certainly glad to have you back. We know your mom's glad to have you back, and uh, I just want to say on behalf of Bhante and our whole Sangha that we're so grateful for all you do over there, but mostly for uh, being the, the, the Bhante Sujatha in country for his parents as they transitioned through the difficulties of this year and as Bhante's father passed away. We're so appreciative of your time and attention and devotion on behalf of Bhante and his family. <laughs> okay, uh, we have a guest speaker today. Um, there's going to be a, a, a few uh, things happening this morning. And so the first one is that because we have uh, these guest monks in, Bhante Sujatha is uh, gonna, going to graciously step aside and let uh, a guest teacher speak for us who's been here many times. Our good friend Bhante Sankicha is here, and he's going to do the Dharma talk. So I'm going to invite him to do our meditation and our talk. Bhante, it's all yours. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so, uh, new people, welcome. Thank you so much for coming to the Blue Lotus Temple. But today is a very special day. Uh, so many, um, you know, not so many, some surprises will happen. <laughs> uh, so, therefore, I am asking new people, this is not, you know, this is our uh, normal Saturday meditation, but today is a little bit different. But I don't want to explain to you right now. <laughs> And so you will experience it later. Okay, first we are going to do a short guided meditation. And after that, Bhante Sankicha will give you a Dhamma talk. Okay, so let's do our short meditation. Please find a comfortable posture. <coughs> Gently close your eyes. Take few deep, long breaths and relax your whole body from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. Observe all of the different parts of your body individually and see if they are relaxed free of tension or strain. Anywhere you find tension or strain, concentrate your mind on that area. Allow it to release and relax. experienced relaxation and peace. Feel harmony with your body. Feel close to yourself. Now send your loving thoughts towards yourself, thinking, I am well, I am happy, I am peaceful. Understand the meaning of each word clearly and deeply, then repeat it to yourself. I am well, I am happy, I am peaceful. 
Now slowly turn your attention to your breath. Every breath you take in, you take out, is taken mindfully. Focus on your natural, ordinary breaths. If you are distracted by your thought, or a feeling, or a sensation, bring your attention back gently but firmly to the spot where you experience that subtle sensation of the breath. Now observe your mind, observe your body, your body is relaxed, your mind is calm, tranquil and peaceful. Make a strong determination to practice meditation every day, regularly, with diligence and patience. Understand how important this meditation practice to keep yourself well, happy, peaceful and balanced. May peace be with you. May you be well. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. Thank you very much. Please open your eyes. Good morning, everyone. I know it's snowing outside, but we all feel very comfortable, very warm here inside. And uh, I think this is how we all feel when we are in meditation practice. And whenever we incorporate this uh, spiritual practice to uh, our everyday life, we feel that uh, warmth in our heart and mind we feel some security to uh, ground ourselves in our uh, experience. So this is the uh, marvel of this spiritual practice, I think. So we all feel that uh, transition, uh, very important transformation in ourselves, along with the spiritual practice. This is something very special 
to all of us whenever uh, we think about what happens outside, outside world in society today. As there are so many things to distract us, make us uh, uncomfortable when you think about what's going on. So, when we think about our spiritual practice in that kind of uh, distractive world, uh, it's very important for all of us to have some inspirations. You know, this is a very powerful thing actually uh, for me. You know, I consider these inspirations to be very huge part of our practice, our life. You know, if you take a moment uh, to think about, if you did not meet some people, some individuals in your life, you know, uh, this speaks to everybody. We all are coming from different backgrounds. We all have different stories, actually. We all have different experiences regarding how and where we started our spiritual journey. Most of the time, if you think about if you did not meet Bhante Sujata, where would have uh, you been today? It's same for my case too. You know, when I became a monk, uh, I came to him actually, and uh, he taught me all the necessary things, you know, uh, in preparation for my ordination. And since then, he was there for me, you know, behind me, giving all the support, uh, courage, and energy. So I strongly believe that is the case for many people, Dhamma friends who are here today including uh, Bhikkhuni uh, Vimala. Mm-hmm. So, this is the meaning of that inspiration. You know, In this part of the world, many people don't have that. Many people complain. Bhante, I feel left alone. I don't have anyone to uh, talk to. I don't have anyone to share my uh, spiritual experience you know, uh, what I'm going through. Sometimes, uh, even though you come to temple like this, you know, you practice, you learn the Dhamma, but when you go home, when you uh, are interacting with your friends, your co-workers, you don't get that opportunity to talk to them about the Dhamma, your spirituality. Uh, You can be very weird to them. (laughs) Right? They don't get it. They don't understand what you are talking about. They don't have any clue, any sense. So you feel that isolation in your journey, your spiritual practice, you know. So in that experience, how, how would you inspire you? You know, what is the inspiration for you? You know, what gives you this energy, you know, this motivation for you to continue? You know, this is a very special thing. Sometimes we hardly appreciate <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes when we have these Dhamma teachers, uh, our <clears throat> most importantly, very powerful life experiences in our life, you know, uh, for an instance, this pandemic, you know, what we all are experiencing today, it has been a very powerful motivator for many people, you know, uh, many people have understood so many things about uh, their life, the world, the universe, their sansaric journey, uh, these things are to be very powerful. And they can be very powerful uh, spiritual awakening for them. You know, So, as we can see, it's all about being very smart there. You know, even though there can be so many things to inspire us, you know, people, our relationships, things that are happening in the world, in society. But if you are not sensitive to them, if you do not pay enough mindful attention to them, they would not make any difference in your life. You know. So this spiritual practice uh, make, makes us actually uh, that sensitive uh, individuals. You know, we become able to uh, 
feel our life. We become able to feel others. What happens to them? What is happening in the nature? Very deeply. So begin to, we begin to understand the reality, what we call the Dhamma. So, therefore, it's an art. It's a special skill to keep this motivation, uh, these inspirations, uh, along our journey. And sometimes you may not find any external inspirations. You have to be the, your own motivator. Huh? You have to push yourself so hard. You know, This is not easy. This is not comfortable. Your body, your mind, your feelings, your emotions are not ready exactly you know, to value and appreciate uh, these kind of spiritual uh, values. You know? So therefore, uh, it's our responsibility to inspire ourselves. Uh, motivate ourselves uh, in this spiritual practice. So in order to uh, do that, uh, there's a beautiful uh, stanza in the Dhamma. Uh, in that stanza, Buddha gives us a very special lesson. Attanang pejyan janya rakkeyanang surakkita tinna manya tarang yamang this directly talks about ourselves and our spiritual practice. Our goals even, you know. The simple meaning of that stanza is, if you really love yourself, if you really care for yourself, and even if you really respect yourself, uh, you should protect your mind. You should protect your mind from the evil, from negativities, these distractions, negative emotions. So this is the first thing actually. If you really love yourself, you need to protect yourself from this danger. Having the basic understanding of the real happiness, true happiness, is coming to you from a pure mind, pure heart. This is a very special thing to understand in our life. Since we know how people enjoy their life, there are so many different ways, you know, how people enjoy their life, what kind of things they appreciate in their life. It can be very different from person to person. But when you think about your true happiness, your real happiness, I would say the healthy happiness, it always comes from the purity of the mind. Whenever your mind is pure, whenever your mind is free from these disturbing thoughts, feelings and emotions, from that inner peace and tranquility, the real happiness is experienced. So, if you can value that, if you can identify that type of happiness in the world, in society, it's a very huge transformation. I think this is the point your spiritual journey begins. This is where you begin your spiritual journey. From the point that you begin to understand, your happiness is coming from within. Your happiness is right here, not external. And then to understand the real happiness and peace can occur to you whenever your mind is free from these negativities. So when you have that understanding, that value in yourself, everything is going to be reoriented based on that point. That can really guide yourself. So if you really love yourself, if you really care for yourself, you should protect your mind. And in order to do that, you know, the marvel of Dhamma, this spiritual journey, it doesn't happen to all of us the same way. It is not the same for everybody. As I mentioned earlier, 
we have our own stories. Uh, if you take a moment to think about where you start your spiritual journey, this is spiritual practice. Coming to the Dhamma, it can be very different and it can be very interesting too. Hmm? Sometimes, for some people, it comes from nowhere. <laughs> you know, the, sometimes miracles happen to people. You know, uh, sometimes you just uh, come to meet with a huge inspirational person and open up uh, the path to this spiritual practice. Hmm? But for some people, uh, for many people, as we have met, you know, uh, they have began. Uh, they have begun their spiritual journey because of some uh, powerful incidents in their life. Hmm? Maybe uh, loss of their dear ones, loved ones, hmm? or uh, something that happened in the world, in society. You know, sometimes they uh, began to think about the true meaning of their life. Uh, uh, true meaning of this world and society, and they started their spiritual journey from that point. Mm-hmm. So, no matter from where we are coming, uh, what happened to us, when we come to the journey, when we come to the spiritual practice, we all are in the same stream. Mm-hmm. We all are in the same practice. Mm-hmm. So, in this particular stanza, Buddha uh, points out that if you really love yourself, you need to begin that spiritual practice for yourself, caring for yourself, taking care of yourself, protecting yourself, and cultivating your mind. At one point of these three uh, points in your life. So these three points or three times in your life can be in your childhood. You know, sometimes uh, some people start the spiritual journey very early, you know, uh, depending on their circumstances. And sometimes uh, it's never too late to start your spiritual practice uh, in the middle age, you know, uh, for many of you <laughs> uh, being the case. And it is never too late to start even in the uh, end of your life. You know, like uh, uh, towards the end of your life. You know, as I said, uh, it can happen at any time like that. So it's never too late. You know, so this is a very special thing to keep in our mind. So, uh, loving yourself, caring for yourself, you need to pay your special attention to uh, take care of yourself uh, at least uh, on one occasion like this, you know, maybe your early childhood, maybe your middle age, or towards the end of your life. Uh So that means uh, you should never miss this opportunity. You know, the practice is the most important thing. You know, uh, what you are really focusing today, actually, uh, the message, you know, uh, as far as the practice is concerned, it doesn't have any boundaries. You know, it doesn't have any discrimination. The Dhamma being akalika, uh, it has no any limitations in terms of time and space. You know, it can be cultivated by anyone. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are, where you are coming from, your backgrounds. They don't really matter. Hmm? Dhamma can be uh, practiced by anyone. Mm-hmm. This outside appearance, what you wear, you know, where you live, uh, they don't really matter. Mm-hmm. But there can be special difference when you think about the practice, how uh, how fast you move in this uh, direction. As uh, Lord Buddha mentions, you know, uh, to practice the Dhamma being a layperson, is identified as a journey of a peacock, hmm? having a long burden behind, <laughs> uh, heavy, uh, heavy load behind to carry. You know, 
having all these responsibilities, your obligations, you know, going through all these obstacles. To practice the Dhamma, you feel that burden still. Mm-hmm. The, but the practice of a monastic, a monk or a nun, uh, is identified as a journey of a swan. Mm-hmm. Having no much burden behind to carry, mm-hmm. that person can dedicate uh, the time, uh, the practice uh, for the spiritual uh, development mm-hmm. a lot. So we have to identify that. It's a clear difference, but it's, it can be very complicated. It doesn't sound that way sometimes. You know, that's where being so smart is coming to be very special. Because depending on your practice, sometimes you know how to navigate yourself, you know, through these burdens. There you realize no matter where you are, whoever you are with, you know, which part of the world you are in, you know how to keep yourself in the practice, you know. So that comes from the experience, you know, there you understand being a monastic or a lay person is not that important, but the practice, you know, because wearing a robe, living in a monastery, one may not really dedicate him or herself towards this practice. It happens most of the time, <laughs> you know, when monks identify themselves as the Dhamma teachers, you know, without realizing we can fall into that uh, burden sometimes. You know, we feel being so busy with teaching, taking care of the temple and all other obligations, so they can easily forget about their practice, you know. And at the same time, the lay followers, lay people find themselves to be very engaged in the practice, you know. Being in a household life, you know, going to work, doing all these external activities, being so smart, they know how to dedicate their time. Uh, so, we can understand that it's an art. It's a special skill that naturally comes to us through the practice. So, therefore, Buddha in one discourse uh, mentions that you can live in a forest still like being in the middle of a downtown a big city. <laughs> but you sometimes one may live in the middle of the town just like being in a forest. So you can see that it's all about in our mind how we process and how we understand these things. You know? The practice is very unique in that sense. It's being so smart uh, to know how to use the Dhamma, you know, this medicine you know, as Buddha identifies his own teachings to be an ultimate remedy for our uh, everlasting problem of suffering, stress and anxieties in our everyday life. So, it's being so smart to know the proper time, which medication to take, you know, for which problem even. You know, this is the other thing. You know, sometimes people think, uh, as it, it appears today, this meditation would work for anyone, for anything. And it is not the case, actually. <laughs> you know, when you know the Dhamma, when you study the Dhamma, this meditation part, the cultivation of mind, becomes the, uh, the most advanced level, actually. You know, but as many people come to this practice, you know, looking for spiritual uh, refuge or help, actually, they come with a very disturbed mind, you know, from a lot of problems. So this meditation would not work for them. Uh, sometimes it happens. You know, we can see that. Uh, but according to the teachings, this meditation practice requires some requisites, some preparation. So this is where we learn the Buddha's teachings to be a way of life. You know, meditation part can be the ultimate of that practice. You know, some people, especially Western people, they don't know that part. They don't know even to value 
because of that instant results, right? We all are oriented in that sense, that value. We, we all need instant results. We need enlightenment, right? Sitting on this cushion, you know. Uh, this is what they come for, <laughs> you know. And when they don't get it, they really get disappointed and they go away easily, <laughs> right? It happens to many people, you know, but to see the clear advance or clear uh, benefit of this uh, meditation practice, we need to focus on uh, the necessary steps to get there. <clears throat> so this is where we learn about the moral discipline. This practice requires some self-discipline before we go to meditation practice, you know. So this is where we lay our foundation in our everyday life which directly requires some sort of control over our emotions, our emotional uh, experience. Without having that superficial level of discipline, practice, meditation part can be a very challenge for you, big challenge for you. Uh, and then bringing our attention to uh, be aware of our inner experience, uh, what happens in our mind, uh, to be aware of that to make some spiritual connection with ourselves is the next step as we speak about the samadhi, which is the tranquilizing of our mind uh, through uh, understanding, through the cultivation as a way of life, not just sitting on a cushion, but you need to be aware of every single moment uh, in your everyday life. You know, what happens to you? What do you share in your mind, in your behavior? Within, even within your relationships, how you interact with others, you know. So you need to cultivate your mind, your behavior, right? So when the Dhamma practice becomes a part of your everyday life, uh, then the meditation practice can be very fruitful for you, you know. And this is where we learn uh, very beautiful things uh, about ourselves and the world, uh, so we begin to learn about the secrets of our happiness. You know, what is to be cultivated in our life? What should be my values in this life? Uh, so then you learn how to let go even uh, the Dhamma, the teachings eventually. You know, when you begin to experience that peace and happiness, the tranquility, these positive things in life, uh, you learn the secret of your happiness from the point of letting go, how to learn, how to, uh, to let go of things. Uh, so this point also can be very confusing for some people when you think about, oh, eventually you are going to let go of even the Dhamma in the end. What does it mean actually? You know? You practice the Dhamma, you enjoy the Dhamma, you appreciate the Dhamma and eventually you are letting go of it. What is it about? You have to be very careful in understanding, realizing the true meaning of that. What happens exactly there is, as a result of your dedicated practice for a long time, instead of you running after it, you become it. Ah, this is the miracle. You are no longer running after these values or practice, you know, these beautiful things as the practice, you know, you eventually find you are in it or you have become the Dhamma eventually. So what you have to let go there? Nothing. You don't have to let go of anything. And at the same time, you don't feel that burden of carrying something, right, anymore. So you begin to enjoy the real Dhamma within. This is exactly the ultimate bliss and happiness uh, you experience uh, in your practice. Uh -huh. So if you really love yourself, if you really care for yourself, if you really respect yourself, you should allow yourself to practice this spirituality uh, at any point, whenever, wherever you begin to appreciate and value this practice. So then, you are never too late. I heard that uh, beautiful saying, as so long as you are breathing, <laughs> you are never too late. You know, as long as you are breathing in and out, you are never too late. Mm -hmm. 
So, as we uh, celebrate our practice, we need to be able to enjoy and celebrate our practice every single moment. Uh, and then it can really motivate ourselves. As I mentioned earlier, we have to be our own inspirations. You may not find these external inspirations sometimes, but we have to motivate ourselves and we have to become our own motivators. Uh, so today we are so grateful for uh, Bhikkhuni Vimala. So uh, I remember actually this time as we are facing this pandemic uh, for quite some time now, most of the time I see Bhikkhuni Vimala is on on Facebook. She's sharing the Dhamma all this time. I was so happy to see why I mentioned that. She has been a great inspiration for all of us, even for monastics here, you know. And you all, you know, we are greatly missing that part, right? We don't have many nuns. <laughs> so you feel like being home, you know, for many people here. So she gave that huge inspiration for all of you. And she was a very special part of uh, the Blue Lotus, and she is still. I think she got the best out of Blue Lotus <laughs> in the first place, <laughs> you know. So we are so grateful and so thankful for her precious time with us and sharing the Dhamma with you all. So I think I don't have much time to share the Dhamma with you. So I, I think uh, this is enough for now. So, thank you very much. Uh, so, be your own inspiration to yourself. Thank you. Thank you, Bhante. He said, Bhante, you said that there's, uh, it doesn't matter if you're a lay person or monastic. And I let a breath out because I thought you were going to say there's not so much difference. And I, I didn't know how I would correct you. <laughs> there's quite a bit of difference. Um, so we are here on a really historical day, uh, as uh, Bhante is going to share that uh, this is the, the first time that something like this has happened. And I was thinking as we were sitting here that, um, you know, we've had a lot of uh, monastics come and build really deep, uh, important relationships with us through our Dharma practice and go. And there's been a lot of discord around that because the, um, uh, a monastic would be here, we would be in love with them and through our Dharma practice and time with them. And then all of a sudden they were gone. And there was no farewell. There was no understanding. There was just they were gone. And we would all complain to Bhante um, and sometimes robustly complain to him and say, what do you mean? We need, we need a farewell. We need a ceremony. We need to understand what's happened. And, and he would say, were you here for them or for your practice? And then he would walk away. That's all he would ever say. And I, I disagreed with him for a long time, and then I kept seeing it work. Like the, 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 the constant teaching and reminder that we're here for the practice. However, I am so thrilled that today uh, does not mount to that circumstance because there is something really unusual happening. We have had an incredible blessing over all these years where We've had these great teachers uh, and people who have dedicated their lives to uh, the teaching of the Buddha. However, they, they have not shared a similar lived experience as us here in the United States and as Americans. And we've had the rare and incredible opportunity of having a monastic who has lived our lived experience, who was able to sit on the cushion and teach and share with us in, in the most beautiful, open-hearted way the teachings that the other monastics teach, but through the lens of our lived experience. And so that has elevated this Sangha in a way that no other thing we could have done has, has ever happened. And I think the gift of that will reverberate on and on and on. I was thinking um, about like how far it will go and how we could even measure the impact of your teaching and your ability to take your American mom, daughter, you know, citizen lived experience. And, and, and I think it would be really important to acknowledge uh, uh, the perspective of a woman in this space. 
Um, you know, Bonte said, you know, it's, it's rare that we see nuns. That's true. Um, and I think one of the things I was thinking is Bonte has been a great teacher, but you have been a great teacher to Bonte in, in creating equality in this place. And where we've failed, you've compassionately taught us to do better. And I think that the whole experience has grown and grown as a result. And so I don't know how we'll ever thank you. I think we'll all continue trying. Uh, and so with that, I'm going to turn uh, this over to Bhante Sujatha. Thank you, Tyler. <clears throat> First, I want to say thank you to uh, Bhante Sankiche. First, I want to say a few words about him. I think if I remember right, maybe 25 years ago, uh, my, my master, my teacher who ordained us, and he was out of our home temple, uh, running our temple in Australia. So then I was running our uh, main temple in Sri Lanka at that time, I think 25 years ago. Then three boys came to become a monks. So one of them is uh, Bandhisan Kitcher. <laughs> and so I accept them to the order and I, I trained them until my teacher come to Sri Lanka. Then I get 30 years. Oh my God, that means I'm very old. <laughs> <laughs> so 30 years ago, I cannot believe it, you know. So it's very interesting. Now I can see how much work he's doing. I was running Great Lakes Buddhist Vihara in Michigan. Um, so I quit that job. Then I gave that job to him. <laughs> so now he's running that temple. I'm here. So anyway, thank you so much for your kindness. After I listening to his Dhamma talk, you know, I was thinking, Alison Lewis, where are you? Yes, you know, from, from Las Vegas, Blue Lotus, she's here. I made the decision to moving to Las Vegas because after I listened to his Dhamma talk, so I can practice my meditation in the strip. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> so anyway, I am always reminding people we are representing Buddha's teaching here at the Blue Lotus Temple. This is the Buddha's dispensation. So... My analogy always, Blue Lotus Temple is like a school bus. School bus has a two doors, one to get in, one to get out. But when I'm comparing Blue Lotus Temple and the school bus, I think Blue Lotus is better. Why? We have four doors, main doors. One in the kitchen, <laughs> and we can go out, and you know, one is the back door, there's two front doors. That means everybody can come in. If you are happy here, you can continue. Anytime if you feel enough, you can walk out. And if you want to come again, <laughs> four doors are open. You can come again. So therefore, Bhikkhuni Vimala, 14 years ago, I met her, uh, our Blue Lotus Meditation Group in Wisconsin. She always come to meditation with special drink for me. Homemade. That's how she's always coming to meditation. Always I have a special drink every time when I do a Sunday evening, right? Sunday evening, Saturday evening meditation. So one day she came to me and said, Bhante, I'm very interested to become a Buddhist nun. I was thinking because it's a controversial situation about the Buddhist nun order. And I know it is very challenging here to live as a Buddhist monk or Buddhist nun because cultural is totally different experience. Then I said to her, no, <laughs> no need to do that. <laughs> and then I, I remember, then I gave her, you know, I said, I don't like it. But then I asked her, after you shave your head, wearing a sari, right? Can you walk around the country without any shame? Then she said, I want to think about it. <laughs> And then she went home, after a few weeks later, she came to me and said, Bhante, I'm ready, I can do it. So the finally, I was thinking, I know it, it is going to be controversial, because Bhikkhuni's order, you know, after many years of the, uh, you know, the Buddha's, you know, the, you know, passing away, you know, many years later, right? Uh, 11th century. 11th century. It died out. It's died out. So, in, in Theravada tradition. So it is controversial. I'm going to restart it and, you know, a lot of, you know, explanation to do, but I don't want to go that direction. So anyway, I made the decision to ordain her with Bhikkhuni Sudarshana from Florida because without another Bhikkhuni, I cannot ordain her by myself. So then there was another Sri Lankan Buddhist nun. I invited her. We did our ordination, her ordination here 14 years ago. 
I think that's the first Buddhist nun ordination here in mid Midwest. Uh, you know, some people personally contacted me and, uh, you know, criticized me what I did. But you know my character, many of them, I don't care. <laughs> Sorry to say that. But if I feel my mind, I do a right thing according to the teaching of the Buddha, I will do it. Because that's my character, I did it. Then she took it as a gift and she did the great job. I made the title for her, Blue Lotus Mother, Mother of the Blue Lotus Temple. And she always, and treating all the monastic, our young monks, like especially like her sons, still she does. And so, and also she was teaching so many people in this facility, around our community, around the country, and still she's continuing her practice. So Vimala, I'm so grateful to you. So you are always in my life, no matter what you do. So therefore, I'm not going to announce it. Vimala is going to do a special announcement today to the public. Now this is your time. Please go to the podium or... Uh, Tessa, Tessa had uh, Tessa was becoming the mother of Blue Lotus Temple, because she handed me something that she had to print out for me, and then she handed me this great big <laughs> bundle of tissues, <laughs> and I don't have any place to put it in this uh, in my robes. So thank you, Tessa. I was going to leave it behind, but I thought eh, Tessa might know know more than I than I do. Um, I am disrobing today, and uh, I'm going to become <clears throat> part of the lay sangha. <clears throat> and it's been a it's been a decision that's taken a very long time for me to sit with and stew with. And and when I see all of these wonderful monks who, lit I think all of you except Bhante uh, Metta because you weren't here, were at my first ordination that Bhante Sujata did here. And uh, also, well, Bhante, Bhante San and Bhante Chan and so many other monastics that, are, that are, are truly, I feel like, are dear family members of mine. And as a bhikkhuni, I have also no, although they're much further away, other bhikkhunis and have become more and more connected with that group. Um, and I have to say, this, it's, it's the, this is probably the hardest decision that I've had to make. The, the monks who are here now, including Bhante Sujata, but Bhante Bhadia and Bhante Amita and Bhante Asaji, they are, it's just, it's, uh, they're wonderful. They, they're, they're the best of the best. And their hearts are really pure. So, there are so many people that I, uh, you know, if there were 20 monks here, I, I probably would know most of them because they've been here every year since I first, I started do, I was ordained in 2007 as a seminary, which is like a training nun. And, uh, that was here before, before it was reconstructed. We were still down in the basement, but the ceremony was up here. And, um, then three years later, I went to Sri Lanka again with Bhante Sujata and Ayas Sudarshana, who was one of the very first bhikkhunis ordained. And uh, uh, they they were both on my meditation on my ordination panel in Sri Lanka. So that's been that's another eleven, almost twelve years. So. Um, it's it's a big it's a it is my life it has it is is how I've lived my life. For me, the decision came down to I have no I'm not leaving I'm not I'm not leaving Blue Lotus I'm not leaving I'm not uh, leaving uh, 
Buddhism, I'm not leaving, I'm not gonna, I'm not going out to get married or do some <laughs> wild and crazy things. <laughs> I really am just, I'm, I'm leaving the robe out of respect. I sometimes feel that as, because I live on my own and I am the only bhikkhuni and still in the Midwest, um, I live, I live kind of teetering between being a lay person and a monastic. And sometimes I have felt out of respect for the, the really difficult life of a monastic, uh, and respect as that lay people are just as, life is just as difficult. And it's, uh, and it's difficult to, for all of us to find time to practice and to keep, to keep our hearts kind of open all the time. But for me, the decision between that balancing, it felt like balancing between the two worlds sometime, that it feels, uh, I feel that I'm honoring both groups by making this decision. And certainly, it's so hard in having more monks here today than we usually do makes it even harder because there, there's, this is, this is going to be hard to take these robes. But I feel like as a lay person, I can continue doing the things I do and I can continue working with Blue Lotus and <coughs> being a help and being on the, the, some of the committees that I've enjoyed being on, especially the community service. And, uh, there's so much that we do here at Blue Lotus that will open up, Bill haven't been able to open up to, but that's coming in the future. And that's how we really find the, com the spirit of the community. So when we're all more involved and around the temple and what's going on. So there's no heaviness in my heart about Blue Lotus or about being a monastic. It's just a, it's just a personal choice I've made, but it's, it's been absolutely the best training and the best, uh, the best way to get a sense and have so many, I have so many teachers. And not just the monastics, but also the, all of, all of you that I've talked to or you've shared parts of your life with me. Uh, it's, that's, that's where I'm really learning. That's where I have really learned and how my heart's been able to open and I feel like it will continue to open. So I'm not going away. You can't get, there's no way, not going to be getting rid of me. And I'm going to keep doing my thing on Facebook, which is funny, Bhante Sanki, you mentioned that. I started that because of the pandemic. I thought we, including myself, we can't, we can't be separated and isolated from each other. We need some kind of, some way to have some face-to-face -face contact. And that's become something really precious to me. So, um, I, I wish I could remember all the people who have, that, whose names, but Bhante Samita, and I know we never used your correct name, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Bhante Samita was here. Bhante Pamaratana gave the talk at my first ordination. And Bhante Sujata, you know, he, he kind of changed that story a little bit because he, when one of the questions I asked him was about how are women treated in Buddhism and as nuns, he never he never mentioned the controversy. He said, "Oh, it's great now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's you know we have bikunis and we're doing that." And but it had only been going on for maybe uh, ten years and was still very controversial. He just kind of left out the controversial part. <laughs> But he said, "No, women women are the same in Buddhism. Men and women are the same." And that was that was one of the big questions I had. Um, so, Bhante Sujata and Bhante Sankicha all are so uh, monastic path, and I hope I. But I also feel this connection, and I think I'll feel more. A friend of mine was talking about something recently that she was asking if I wanted to be part of. And she wanted to call it uh, be coming into the light. And it, it occurred to me, I feel like by, by making this decision that being a lay person is, is honoring 
the the difficulty of being a monastic and also the the difficulty of being a layperson in this world. But I felt like that's maybe when I feel that I'm more in my own light is as a lay layperson deeply involved in the in the Sangha and the teach the Maha Sangha and the Sangha of lay men and women and of men and women who are monastics. So that's what I'm hoping for, and I ask all of you to accept me in that role. It's a changing role, but uh, I hope it's. I hope that you are comfortable with it. Or, um, you know, I'm really, I'm really wanting to be just a part of this bigger sangha. And I, I hate giving up something, but I think I'm. For me, it's going to be making it uh, a clearer, better choice for me. So. Okay. I think I can leave some of the tissues yes. here. <laughs> so everybody, uh, please give another five minutes because now is a transition will happening because she has to change and she has to return her robes because it's belong to the Buddha's dispensation. <laughs> she cannot take the robes home. <laughs> so just give a few minutes, Tyler. So Bikuni is headed downstairs to disrobe and she has some help from her friends and our Sangha members. And uh, I was thinking a lot about the first time I met Bikuni and um, San, my dear friend over there, we met in this in a meditation in a beautiful space. And some of my other friends over here I've met in Sri Lanka, 10,000 miles away, and other monks I've met in all different places. And I just think it's so appropriate that I met Bikuni at the Starbucks in Lake Geneva. <laughs> I just I was thinking about how perfectly that represents her experience into the monastic life versus the others, you know. And um, she showed up that way. And um, I got a call uh, thir- 12, 12 years ago um, from uh, my banker. And the bank said, you know, you're, you have a family member here who seems confused and disoriented. And um, we think something's not right. And so would you come over? And so I did. It was my mother-in-law. And um, I arrived there, and she was, uh, it was the first um, kind of blatant sign of dementia that it hit her. And we were, um, her, her husband was gone by then and she was alone, living alone. And it was, we went from, you know, her full capacity to, uh, needing full support almost overnight. And, um, I was introduced to Bikuni at the Starbucks in Lake Geneva. Uh, and we, we formed a, a partnership to take care of my family. And she, uh, uh, was with her every day for, uh, four years, um, this was a just an act of love that just really moved me. And um, d- during that time, Bikwini and I got to spend spend more time together than I had with some of the other monastics. And we discovered we had some similarities and a whole lot of differences. And um, so those differences have propelled this place forward. Uh, and I think about them a lot. I'm. Um, I'm I'm an, I'm extreme in one way in some ways she's extreme in other ways and we pulled each other to the middle uh, to make this place better and that's really really been a benefit and a blessing to everyone here and the place um but the other the other similarity we had was that we both um have lived a life in recovery uh, I, I just celebrated 30 years of sobriety last October and um Bequini and I really shared shared in that story in that journey and we also shared a weird uh, coincidence that when I was uh, a young man and in a lot of trouble, I was um, sent to a facility and Stephen Levine, the, the now, now deceased very uh, prominent Buddhist teacher, um, was the facilitator at that organization and I got to spend my time uh, healing with him. And his son Noah was there at the time and Noah uh, has become his own, uh, a legend in his own right as a Buddhist teacher. Um, but it was all through the lens of recovery and, and uh, Noah eventually wrote um, the program that's now known as Refuge Recovery. And uh, it's a Buddhist inspired path to the 12 steps essentially. And on a, on a, in a weird circumstance, 
uh, Bikwini was invited to speak uh, with NOAA when it was just a tiny little thing out in Santa Cruz. Uh, it was just a few meetings here and there where he was trying on this new format where, you know, kind of the outdated language of the 12 steps fell away. Uh, it wasn't serving people anymore. They had a hard time, you know, with the kind of 1940s white guy language that is filled with that in that within that program. And so we were kind of updating it with a more uh, inclusive and uh, Buddhist approach. And so uh, Bikuni did this talk with Noah. They hit it off, and then she came back to Illinois, and we talked about it, and she brought the book back, that what was a draft at the time. And she and I started uh, a refuge recovery meeting in the basement here. And it was the first one in the Midwest, first one in Illinois. I think it was maybe the 10th meeting they had, period. And um, I think because of Bikwini being a monastic uh, and a woman, it was really unusual, and it caught the eye of the Chicago Tribune. And the, so the Chicago Tribune came out and interviewed her and I about how we were doing this addiction work with these guys, and um, they they came and did an interview and photographed us, and it got it got in the Tribune, and we didn't think anything of it. Well, that article went viral, and it went all over. And as a result of that connection, that there. The, the, Hundreds and thousands of groups actually have opened since then, and now there's some in every every state and every big city. Um, and I, I just, I just it, that is just one singular example of how it would be so hard to measure uh, the impact of one person or the the, the practice of the Dharma in our lives. So uh, I think we've done our our uh, time here, and we're ready to reintroduce uh, our lay sangha member. So. Here we are. Excuse Ante. me. Can you push this question here? In August of 2007, I remembered my seminary ordination here at Blue Lotus with Bhante Sujata, Bikuni Sudashana, and several of the monks here this weekend. And in 2010, ordination as a Bikuni was in Sri Lanka, again with Venerables Bhante Sujata and Bikuni Sudasha on my ordination panel. I was accepted into the Mahasangha, the great community of all bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, and have spent over 14 years with Blue Lotus and all of the monks here and the bhikkhuni sangha as my teachers and brothers and sisters. Now I have decided to step away from my role as bhikkhuni and will join the sangha as a layperson, dedicated to supporting and helping the sangha in that capacity. I know that the robes I have worn as a symbol of the Buddha's teachings and his exemplary human life rightly belong to the Buddha Sasana, the Buddhist dispensation. So I return these robes and the ceremonial sangati given to me as a bhikkhuni. It has been my greatest privilege and honor to wear them. Bhante Sujata, please accept my robe and please admit five precepts, the five mindful guidelines to me as an Upasika, lay female Sangha member. Buddhan Saranang Gachami Buddhan Saranang Gachami Dhammang Saranang Gachami Sangang Saranang Gachami Dutiampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dutiampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Dutiampi 
ดุติยัมปีสังกังสารนังกัจจามิ Tatiampi buddhang saranang gacchami Tatiampi buddhang saranang gacchami Tatiampi dhammang saranang gacchami Tatiampi dhammang saranang gacchami Tatiampi sanggang saranang gacchami Panati pata, Veramani, Sikha padang samadhyami, Adinna dana, Veramani, Sikha padang samadhyami, Kame su micha chara Micha chara Veramani Sikha padang Samadhyami Musavada Veramani Sikha padang Samadhi Amin.